You're listening to the Kingdom Culture Church Podcast. To connect with us, hop on social media or go to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. Welcome. I am Caleb Shepherd, our pastor here at Kingdom Culture Church. And this morning we'll be finishing our series on Philippians. Now, I say this morning, obviously, because we're recording at uh, 9.13 on a Wednesday, uh, but I do mean tonight. The fun thing about this whole season is I'm actually wrapping up this series uh, three weeks before I get to see anything past part two of the series, and that part, the next part that will be two weeks before me is going to be recorded after me. Um, so I'm going to stop talking like this because I hate what talking about time in this way does to my brain. But we've been talking about the Philippians series. We've been breaking it down. We've been looking through it. And uh, it's my pleasure tonight to be able to uh, close that all up and, and conclude it. So it's a really great um, book of the Bible to be looking at in a season like this uh, because we've got Paul in prison in, in that kind of experience. And um, we're all in isolation. We're doing things in a different way. In fact, um, while in one sense, I uh, love this. This is such a blessing that in a season like this, we've got people able to volunteer their time, we've got equipment, we've got stuff to be able to do church online. Uh, in another more literal sense, I hate it. Um, the context of basically just I would like everyone to be in the room right now, and I'm kind of gesturing like this to pretend that people are here when people are not, and it's a bit weird, it's a bit different. Uh, worshipping to a pre-recorded thing instead of being together. I just want to be in a room with you all um, and having church in that context, church in that way, church in the way that I'm used to. And so I don't think I'm alone in that, really, in that experience of church is very different to what I'm used to. The context is very different. But for uh, Paul, we've got that to a greater level because he's having his experience with church community, with fellowship, from a jail cell, which is a very, very different way to be experiencing it. And I, he, he would be killing for Zoom right now, um, I am sure, when he's writing this letter. So with the letter of Philippians, it's actually a really relational letter. I'm sure other pastors have mentioned that um, previously, but it's a very relational level. It's, 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 it's the language, the, the direction is at a very relational level. What he's basically doing is he's touching base with this church that he loves, that he planted, that he built, keeping them updated on his situation and thanking them for a gift that they had sent to him. Um, now, because he's able to engage in this relational way, he's one of the real ways you can see that it's relational is he just throws in a quick aside about like, hey, also watch out for this false teaching. Um, but the main themes that he's talking about as we're going through, you can really pull out, is this idea that we've been exploring of fellowship and joy, uh, regardless of the circumstance. So um, the first point, uh, I'm just going to do a quick little summary of what we've already gone over. So first he talks about how being in prison has actually caused the gospel to be preached a lot more. It's uh, such, a, such an incredible attitude that he has. Is some people, they're encouraged by my situation to preach more, and some people are trying to get me in trouble, but in all ways, Jesus is being preached, 
and that's awesome. So that's a really awesome attitude that he's got there. Um, then he uses his attitude for the situation as an example for the rest of the church, uh, how he's uh, going through it, his headspace, how he's keeping his eyes on God while in prison. He uses that as an example for the congregation. Then he puts forward the humility of Jesus as a greater example for them, which I think, quick aside, there's a really awesome uh, leadership tool in there, a really uh, awesome pastoring tool in there that it's, hey, first your context, my experience, how I'm handling that, use that as an example, and then amplify to and Christ's example as a further one beyond that. So that's a really great three-step process. And then he concludes um, that point as saying, even as I am being poured out like a drink offering, I rejoice, so you should rejoice too. It's, it's neatly wrapped up in that. Then he starts talking shop, uh, talking about, hey, I'm sending Timothy to you. Um, Ephroditeus has come. He's given the gift. I'm sending him back. All the, the, the mechanics of that. Uh, and then throws in a warning against the teachings of the Judaistic zealots, um, just because there's a little thing that he needs to go after, so he's able to just drop that in. And then again, puts himself down as an example of, the atti- of an attitude to, to have towards that. And then he spends uh, half a chapter trying to wrap it up. Um, this is another element of the relational part. He's basically playing a game of, no, you hang up first. Uh, there's a few times where he's basically, and wrapping up, saying goodbye, finally, da-da-da-da-da, as he's just trying to wrap it up, but he just has more and more and more to pour out. And then he hits into what we're talking about today, where he starts thanking them for the gift that they've given him. And uh, as we start talking about this, I want you to continue tracking this concept of fellowship and joy that we've been exploring, because we can see this um, desire for fellowship, this attitude of joy in the way that he approaches his imprisonment and difficulties and situations. We can pull out from the way that he approaches thanking the church quite a lot of uh, an idea of what headspace he's in that allows him to operate in such uh, an amazing attitude. So I'm going to break down the first bit out of order because I feel like whenever we think about it, it gets put into a certain way. So I want to I break the way that we normally think about this passage of Scripture, and so I'm going to go through it backwards. So first we're going to start with the Instagram account description part, love, food, Jesus, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, public figure. Uh, That's the bit that you would see embossed on the front of a diary. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And and taken on its own, it can give a lot of, conjure up a lot of interesting ideas of like, yeah, I can do anything, anything I want to do, anything I want to be, that's available, whatever I want, that God gives me strength to do it. But if we look at the sentence before, and there's a really strong uh, practice to do in reading the Bible called reading the sentence before. It says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So he's not saying, I can do whatever I want. I can put myself into any situation I want. He's saying whatever situation I find myself in, 
I can do that situation. He's specifically really talking about money here, that he knows what it is to, to really be needing something and he knows how to exist in that situation. He knows how to do that situation through Christ who strengthens him. And he knows what it is to have a lot. There's a lot that comes from both sides of that where we need the strength of God. One side has temptations to selfishness and hoarding. The other side can have really similar um, senses of uh, temptation of selfishness and hoarding, but just with less access to it. Then before that, we have the, the context that sets up this whole idea. I rejoice greatly in the, in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity, opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So this is what is actually going on in this situation is this whole thing that we've just read, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me, I, whether in need or with a lot, I can do it. That's not actually the point of what he's talking about in this passage of scripture. That's him doing message balancing. That's something that I uh, find myself tempted to do a lot of time is I'm about to make a point about um, something that could be contentious and I feel the need to spend like 15 minutes of my message talking about what I'm not talking about. Just so we're clear, I'm not saying, and obviously I'm not saying, and it's not saying he's actually about to pour into this whole thing of thanking them for giving him money and, and real physical um, resource, but he wants to set a good context. He wants to balance that out. He wants to make sure that he is not seen as coming from a place of lack or insufficiency in terms of uh, his own panic, his own worry, his own thing. He's like, hey, I know how to be content regardless of what's going on. Now he can go from there into thanking, him, thanking them. So when he's talking about this joy that, uh, that comes through so much of this scripture, the joy that he's having isn't you have eased my suffering, right? That's why he has this context that he's throwing in. It's not, I was suffering and I was shaken in my faith and I didn't know what to do and now you've brought this gift and, and I'm not suffering as much anymore. He's like, hey, the context is I have Jesus. I'm never suffering. I can be in hardship, but I'm not suffering because I can do any circumstance, any situation. I can do the situation in prison. I can crush that. I can nail it. So his joy isn't that his suffering was eased. His joy is that the gift was received, the gift he received, that, that brings him joy. The gift's connection to the cause. Um, we're going to basically go through his six verses of thank you. These are the things you'll notice. The gift's connection to the cause, that it's like it's about ministry, it's about what Jesus is doing in the earth. And then finally, the thing that causes him joy with this gift is the relational connection that it causes. Um, that it's about their relationship together. So we'll just read through this thank you right now in verses 14 to 20. So he set up his context. He's making sure that everyone's aware that he's not talking about, hey, I was suffering, thank you that I'm not suffering. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles, that relational thing, sharing in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you only. He's going through their history of relationship through this bonding 
over equipping, being equipped for, for ministry, the work of Jesus. For even when I was in Thessalonia, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Again, he's about to balance. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire more is that more credit be to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So you see in this this language here, these themes that um, sharing, you've shared in my troubles by blessing me in my troubles. You've equipped the work of Jesus Christ in the earth through uh, your your giving into the ministry for Macedonia and Thessalonia. there's, There's this relational covenant thing going on. And I think when we look at it in terms of that, we can see that this attitude that he has, this awesome attitude that he has in regards to prison, that he's, that he's not suffering, that he has enough, that some people are literally, his headspace is, some people are literally trying to get me in trouble. That's their only motivation for preaching the word of God. I feel like we really need to hear this in this day because we will look at someone's car or a little bit of the theology they preach or we'll be very suspicious to try and figure out exactly what their motivations are. And if their motivations don't look to us like they 100% line up, we'll call them a heretic. We'll say that they're, they're out. We'll be really, really like going on about this. Not anyone watching this, obviously. I'm talking um, rhetorical. I'm just being facetious. There's, there's no one that I've ever met personally who um, does this, but we, all, we are all guilty of it. We, we, we watch someone and we try and ascertain what's, the, what's their motivation for preaching the gospel, because if it's not right, then they're not on my side. But that's not Paul's aim. It's like they are literally trying to get me in trouble. They are hoping that this will get me executed or this will uh, get me uh, thrown into prison for a longer sentence or whatever. They, they want this to end badly for me, so they are preaching the gospel. He celebrates that fact because the word of God has not returned to unvoid, so he doesn't really care about what the motivation is. He's able to focus in on what the result will be of people declaring Jesus. And so we see an attitude in him of an inner contentment. And that inner contentment means that he's able to see clearly. That's how he's able to notice the good in any situation. Because he's coming from a place of, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. He's able to actually look at the situation and go, hey, what actually is good in this situation? What is the, not just the bright side, what's God doing in this? We see in scripture, God works all things for good for those who love him. That doesn't mean that everything is good. That doesn't mean that God is uh, responsible for everything. Because the Bible also says, and again, I feel this is something that really needs to be laid out. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said that, but I have come that you may have life and life in more abundance, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If stealing, killing, and destroying is occurring, the thief has come to do it. Jesus' objective is that you'd have life 
and life in abundance. So we don't blame God for every negative thing. We don't try and twist it and turn it and call it a punishment. We don't pretend that we can see in the Gospels Jesus standing on a boat looking at a storm and going, hey, go over to that city and teach them to pray because it's not a thing. It's not in there. We know that God's nature is revealed in Jesus Christ and that's not the way that he behaved. But God takes these negative situations that occur and he works them for good. And this is what we can see in Paul's attitude, is that his heart really is towards the positive, what God is doing in his life, what, what God is bringing forward. And so that's a situation that we can look at in our own circumstance, our own situation. There is a lot to mourn. There is a lot that is hard. There is a lot that is uncertain. And to to minimize these things, to pretend these things don't exist, is just to be ingenuine. But if we can have a picture of of contentment in our own heart, based on relationship with God, that we're actually spending this time in focus towards Jesus, in in focus on our relationship towards God, in relationship with him, understanding that through him, not through our own strength, but through him, we can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't need God to change the external circumstances. I can actually, through prayer, through relationship, be strengthened by God's hand in this situation. That puts us in a position where we can actually see what good God could be doing out of it. And that that empowers God to be partnering with us in that. Instead of God having to drag us by the shoulders to bring us to doing good out of it, we can actually be gently led by him towards the good. So what is the good that we can see out of this? What opportunities in this circumstance, in this situation, could we push towards? Some of us are working from home or have a lot less work that we're doing. What are we doing with that free time? What are we doing with that extra time at home that's been given to us? Are we trying to drown out the noise? Are we trying to just get as much Netflix or video games or Instagram or whatever we can into us to distract ourselves? Or are we allowing it to be a time of contemplation, of reflection, of prayer, of intimacy with God? There's a saying that you find yourself in your cell. And I'm not talking about a prison cell there, although I'm sure Paul found a lot about himself in a prison cell. They're actually talking about a cell in a monastery where monks would go away at the end of the day to lock themselves in and to spend time really finding out who they are in God and having that connection. There's an idea called the dark night of the soul that we don't talk about as much in Christianity as we used to, this idea of um, being really open and honest and raw about ourselves towards God, about where we lack faith, where maybe we don't believe God has come through, wrestling with those concepts. I've had situations in the past where in the middle of the night being like, hey God, I know from your word that this isn't true, but I feel like you really let me down. I feel like you really haven't been having my back. You really haven't been helping me. These kind of honest discussions where we actually wrestle. And when we're really honest with God, it gives, means that God is really honest with us. And that's why it becomes a dark night. Not because we're so focused in on our own depression, but we're being open and honest to God. And he's being open and direct with us to say like, hey, 
Have you considered this perspective? Have you looked at this? Did you actually say to them what you needed? Or were you just quietly hoping that they would do that for you? Were you just sitting in your own um, need, in your own sense of expectation and not actually doing anything for yourself? Were you just in a space where you were entitled? Uh, all these kinds of, of wrestlings, of thoughts, of stuff. And I feel like in this situation, potentially a lot of the anxiety that we're finding isn't anxiety around COVID, but it's actually anxiety that I believe has potentially always been there. And now we have the time and the space to actually notice that before we were busy enough with stimulus, with work, with church, with doing good, didn't have the space, and then in our own private time, just filling it up with whatever we can to just keep it busy, keep it busy, using our phones to distract ourselves. Maybe some of the anxiety that you're feeling in this situation, in this moment, has always been there. And you haven't been aware of it because you've just been so distracted. And so what's the good news in that? Well, the good news is that Holy Spirit gives himself the name the Great Comforter because he's aware that we need to be comforted. And when we can come to a place of honesty, come to a place of realisation, as Christians, that shouldn't break us when we realise our insufficiency. It should actually encourage us to come towards God and to rely on him. In our, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Where we can come to a place where we really, really recognise that, God, without you, I can't do it. I need you. I need to bring this before you. I need to do this in intimacy with you. That Jesus actually came to set us free from every worry, from every anxiety, from every guilt, from every shame, from every condemnation, and that we can actually bring ourselves into that. And if uh, you've stumbled upon this recording because you've been uh, tagged by Pastor Heather in the Facebook Live or because you've just found it on YouTube years later, and maybe that's resonating with you as well, this idea of peace in the storm, the, uh, this idea of whatever's going on in your life, actually being able to connect with that. Maybe in this season you are learning a lot about yourself that you wish wasn't there. Jesus isn't about behaviour modification. He's actually about heart renewal. He's actually about setting us free. He's actually about coming in and finding that place of hurt, that place of really the wounds that are in our heart, that are in our soul, and bringing healing, and bringing renewal, and bringing life. And yeah, from that, generally, when everything is healed up, our behaviour becomes better, but we can't get it flipped around. Jesus isn't after trying to make you behave like a good person. He's, he's about trying to heal you and trying to make you whole and actually bringing out what is good and what is, and what is wonderful out of his creation. And so if that's you, if you've just stumbled upon this, we'd really like you to get in contact with us. Reach out at acare@kingdomculture.com.au. Um, if otherwise you are a part of this church, a part of this community, and you're, you're struggling in this time, reach out. Let's, let's be joining digital dinner parties. Let's be uh, emailing the care out um, uh, email. Let's, let's, let's continue to try and be in, in community as much as we can in this situation. But more than anything else, let's try and really let this be a season, a time of fellowship with God. Amen.